your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on international business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode number 28. Today we have Amanda Workman. She's from Texas and she will talk about pretty much everything when it comes to cultural differences because she's not only a listener to the podcast of Culture Matters, she's also a colleague. Uh, we don't call that competition, but just a colleague. She does in, she's in the same line of business that I am in, which is um, intercultural management as such. Amanda grew up in Eastern Africa, lived and worked in Hong Kong, and has traveled and worked throughout Eastern and Southern Africa, India, China, and Western Europe. This lifetime of experiences has given her a passion for people and cultures, and as a result has helped to develop a unique perspective on global competency, cross-cultural nuances, and training internationally. When she's not finding a new adventure by spending weekends in Paris, riding elephants in Thailand, or listening to lions roar on safari in Africa, Amanda can be found in Dallas, Texas, spending time with her friends, her pets, and dreaming of her next adventure. Make sure you you listen all the way to the end of the interview because she uh, asks in with every podcast I uh, ask the guest whether uh, he or she has any tips to get us more to to make us more culturally competent and she comes up with the uh, the three L's and I'm not going to reveal what that is you got to listen to the end because it's really a nice way of summing up how to look at, at cultural differences and how to become more culturally competent. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, Amanda. How are you? Good morning, Chris. I am doing well. Afternoon, your time. I'm yeah. doing well. Okay. All right. Well, we, this is uh, this is exciting stuff because um, you're the uh, the third woman, I think, in uh, in a row almost that we have on the podcast. So that's uh, that's good news. It's not a male dominant business, at least not the business that we're in. Because apart from the fact that you're a listener um, of the Culture Matters podcast, you're also a colleague, right? I am. I am. I run um, Cultural Concierge is my made up title. I think we often make up our own, right? Yes, yes. yes. Um, And then I run my own consulting business working with um, people working with cultural differences. Um, But more than that, really working with cultural competency training with executives and strategic planning across across international programming. Okay, that makes that makes good sense. Next question, what are your fees? No, I'm just kidding. Right? No, we're, we're, <laughs> we're not getting into that commercial stuff here because that's not what it's all about. Um, but maybe, Amanda, you can tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you come from, uh, where you currently are, and maybe also your cultural frame of reference before we dive into more of the cultural concierge and the work that you do. Sure, I'd love to. So um, I had the privilege of, um, I am an American by birth, a U.S. American by birth. Um, And I uh, was born in the South. um, And my parents moved when I was six years old. We moved to Kenya, Eastern Africa. Um, 
And I lived in the hometown of running, which is one of my favorite fun facts. I grew up where all of the Kenyan Olympic runners train um, and have many um, former Olympians as as good friends, which I find just absolutely fun. I spend... Um, I've spent many hours with the Kanos who are who are historically known within the Olympic world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, so I grew up there uh, most of my formative years. I lived there through um, high school and then left Kenya to re- return to the States um, for university. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Our stateside home is in the Texas area, and so I went to university in Texas, but also had the privilege of spending a year during university in Hong Kong. Um, so I've got a little bit of African influence, a little bit of Asian influence, um, and just find it absolutely amazing to have both. Um, so that's really a lot of my cultural background as far as living and work, living um, and then working. Um, I spent the better part of a decade working in um, glo- setting up global programs and development uh, of limited resource programs mm-hmm. for nonprofits in China in all of the um, the emerging markets. So China, India, Brazil. So you you might argue you're an enlightened American. <laughs> well, there are days that I feel that way. There are days that I definitely <laughs> feel that way. I can say, well, I have to be careful with what I say because um, about 50% of the audience is uh, from the United States or the downloads are from the United States. So I guess the audience is from there as well. But the other 50% is made out of the rest of the world. So that's the, the biggest chunk of listeners is in um, indeed in uh, in the U.S. Coming from the South, you don't so- sound like a Southern. And and do you speak Swahili? Uh, the, um, it, I, so I speak language? a little bit of Swahili. Yeah. Um, my parents, actually, the, the city in which I grew up was very English-speaking, even in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh-huh. Uh, very much. So all of my friends spoke English and really wanted to speak English to me. And so that is a detriment to learning a language mm-hmm. is having is having someone wanting to not speak it to you. Um, so for me, I speak just enough um, to get in trouble, as I tell people. I uh, was working on a project two years ago in Tanzania, and um, it was my first time back into the eastern part of Africa in a, in a little over a decade, and the Tanzanians were would make fun of me because I didn't know how to speak Swahili, and then they would say, oh, wait, you're from Kenya, okay, <laughs> so um, because Kenyans are known for, for a lot more English speaking than living in Tanzania. Yeah, it used to be an English colony, a British colony, right? In the past. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 And still has a lot of a lot of that influence. Okay. Um, so I speak just enough of that to get in trouble. I speak just enough Chinese to or Mandarin to get me from um, from my house to the place that I used to work, and I don't have either of those things in my life anymore. Uh-huh. Um, and then I so as far as accent goes, it. It's very flat, very international for the most part. Yeah. Um, I tend to have a musical ear, and so I often will adapt to the area in which I in which I live or in which I'm traveling. So if I get off the plane in London, you'll find um, a very British girl, especially having grown up in a British colony. No, really? Yes. Oh, okay. oh yes. All right. Yes, can I can change it. Change it quite quickly. Okay. Well, let, let me see the, the next next question. Maybe you can answer that in British English. Then um, sure. I was I was curious, and maybe this is not the way that you want to go this uh, with this interview. But I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you used to work for the American Heart Association, and what you're currently doing seems to be such a switch. What made you do this? 
Well, all right. So switching over to my British English. So <laughs> it always freaks everyone out. Um, so um, I had an incredible time working for the Heart Association and really loved what I did there. Mm-hmm. Um, they were doing some changes really within their global programming and kind of taking a strategic direction in a direction that um, while, I was, while I was appreciative of, I wasn't necessarily um, quite the right fit for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have wanted to work in the area that I have worked for, that I'm currently working for many, many years, um, have studied it, have volunteered doing trainings for people. And so it was really just the right timing for me to kind of step away and step out on my own. Okay. Lo- sounds lovely, dear. Sounds <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> sounds really lovely. And, and how long have you been standing on your own legs then or doing the, doing the cultural conscience thing on your own? Yes, so the Cultural Concierge uh, launched in March of last year, so exactly a year, mm-hmm. um, and really um, doing some, you know, it takes, as as you know, as, as if you step out on your own, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, I thought I had this. Yeah, no, you don't. And, uh, a lot of learning, <laughs> exactly. a lot of learning. Yeah. So still doing a lot of learning. Um, uh, we'll be doing some launches this, this year for myself, which is super exciting. Uh-huh. So including um, a blog that launches this month and a podcast that launches as soon as I um, get organized enough to get it all together. So, Okay. If you need some tips and tricks or advice, just let me know. I'm more than happy I, to share that. I will take you up on that for sure. Absolutely. Um, but that's not, that's not the reason uh, we're, we're chatting here because uh, we are both colleagues and uh, we don't call each other competitors. We're doing different things in the same realm when it comes to cultural differences. And right. my, my next question is, is, and I tend to ask this a lot of questions, people that are involved in this as well. I always keep wondering why there's so many organizations that simply brush over cultural differences. Any idea why that is? Um, What's your take on this? So it's interesting um, because it happens often enough that, and it happens often enough even in this world, even in the current world where so much global work is happening. I I say probably once a week, either watching the news or listening to a colleague tell a story, I will never be out of business. Mm -hmm. No one may pay me for what I do, but I will never be out of business. Um, Because there's always... There's always something to learn culturally, right? Um, I think a lot of it comes down to, and especially in the U.S. American market, I can't speak for the rest of the world. Uh-huh. Um, but in the U.S. American market, I think that so often we've had such great success um, doing something, right? And and so, it, for instance, uh, going to a company that um, I've worked with in the past, you know, they'd had such great success working um, within the United States. A multi-billion dollar company was doing, you know, was doing everything right and um, simply wanted to make a, a leap over into into the English, into the, the British market, mm-hmm. so into the UK, and really began to struggle. And what, what didn't really understand why they were struggling, especially since they were working with... Um, another English-speaking country, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they understood cultural nuances if they were in an underdeveloped country and, you know, maybe educational issues or whatever. But, but seemingly, if you, look at the, if you look at the United States, we would not do this, but, but most, the majority of people look at the United States and they look at England and they think, oh, well, we're similar. Mm-hmm. But culturally, there's so many different nuances that um, are, just, are just not not thought of because of that. And I think that people don't 
take that into account because they're so successful in so many areas that they just think, oh, well, that's, that's nothing. You know, everybody's different. Everybody gives 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 way to a difference, right? So they mm-hmm. think, "Oh, yes, I'm different, and you're uh, of course I'm different than you. I grew up in a different background, but we we're so similar that we'll just get the because we're in the same industry that we'll just get along and yep. fix this." Yep. So we, I'm not. We really take these sure things for I, for granted in a way. Don't yes, we? Yeah. I really think we take it for granted um, without giving giving any credence, even within company to company. You know. Yeah. Rather, not necessarily even market to market. I think that sometimes um, within a company, often people do not take into account, oh, that person grew up differently or, oh, this is their background. And so that's why they're coming at this problem or right. this particular project in a certain way. Okay. Now, 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 companies are there. Well, let's not talk about mission statements. But let's say that companies are there in the world to make money, to make to make a profit, or to be useful, or something like that. But let's let's stick right. to money because that's a nice, measurable thing. In what way do you think can or can companies actually uh, increase their bottom line by spending more time in acknowledging cultural differences and actually paying attention to it? Oh, great question. I absolutely think so. Um, I think that if you, I will give you the very best example that is out there right now Uh um, with a person, with a company that is doing it well, and that is Coke with their share a Coke with campaign. Uh So I travel fairly extensively. And um, what I will tell you is that Coke took the time to study the common names of the of all of the different markets that they are in. So, and they are selling, I mean, their, their profits have increased because everybody wants to buy a Coke can for whatever, yeah. right? So for their Valentine or for share a Coke with Chris. And so, of course, I'm going to buy that can because I'm thinking of you. And yeah. even if I buy it and take a picture of it and then drink it myself, right? Because we live on opposite continents or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was in... Um, when I was in, I took my niece, I had the pleasure of taking my niece this year to London and Paris for her first time. And when we were in London, we were able to find Coke cans of all of the names of our family because our, our, they're so calm, you know, our name, our names are common among the English, uh, English names. Yeah. Um, so we lined them up on a shelf and took a cute little picture. Right. And then when we went over to Paris, um, all of the names were French. Right. <laughs> and then I've just returned from, from working in Botswana where all of the names are actually Setswana, very common to the, or Motswana, sorry, very common to the, the people of, of their time. And there's some off names that aren't going to show up. Uh-huh. Um, just like in any culture, when you want to buy a pen or something that has your name on it, you know, some people don't have the right spelling or something. But, but for the majority, Coke has done this incredible thing. And I think that companies as a general rule could really learn culturally from you know, it, I don't know how much time that took for them, hmm. but I can tell you that everybody wants a Coke, right? Yeah. yeah. Because they want a can with their name on it. And how, how would you translate that to your business or, or our business rather? Um, so I think one of the hardest things in, in approaching a client, um, right, is one of the hardest things in, in approaching a client is, is, is explaining to them why they need what you and I do. 
Exactly. Um, Because a lot of times they look at it and they say, um, you know, oh, I know my job or, oh, I know how to do this. And, and, but for me, what, what I try to explain to them is I get that, you know, your job, but I also know mine Mm -hmm. and mine is to help enhance your job by teaching you some things, some areas that will open pathways and doorways for you quicker than if you were doing it just the old, just the old U S way, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and really kind of kind of taking that as an, taking Coke as an example or taking a couple other companies that do it well as an example and saying, look, here's some ways that, that profits have increased because someone took the time to learn about the culture of another company. Mm-hmm. Oh, and P.S., here's some major people, mm-hmm. right, who have had to pull out. So you look at recent, most recently Target pulling out of Canada, another one that you would think, oh, well, that should be easy because Canadians and U.S. Americans are right. Are, are exactly the same, yeah. right? And um, they are not. I can assure you Canadians will quickly tell you <laughs> that they are not. Um, and and so because because of that, Target didn't go in and, and, and learn their market. They just went in thinking, oh, it's just another North American market and we can operate at the same function. And unfortunately, it's, it's costing them millions, yep. right, to pull out now. Yeah, it's strange that companies apparently don't seem to uh, watch that kind of uh, those kind of um, mistakes or things that go wrong because time and again things are being repeated again and again and again. It's like everybody has to stumble and fall before they understand what it actually is, rather than prevent themselves. I don't know. Strange. Well, and I think that you know, so often they're going to blame it on everything else but culture. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah. when I could look at, I mean, I looked at it immediately and was like, oh, well, there's your issue. Give me, give me 10 minutes and you can stay in Canada. <laughs> give me 10 minutes with your people. <laughs> and, and they didn't listen to you still. No one listens to me. Uh, Story of my life, Chris. Uh, my life. No, we're listening. And you're listening to us. I'm listening to you. <laughs> and everybody's listening to you right now, Amanda. Um, you are a member of CETAR. We just briefly discussed this before, before I hit record here. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about what they do and why you became a member Sure. Um, so, CETAR, which I think we should probably, not everyone will know exactly what that particular organization is. No. Um, so, it is, uh, what is the acronym? I always forget. It is the Society for Intercultural Education, Training, and Research. Um, and it, it has multiple chapters across the world, actually. I think it's, it's French originally, isn't it? I, th- I believe so, yeah. yes. Um, we'll say that and then we'll get in trouble because we'll be wrong, but yes. Um, but basically one of the kind of the point of CETAR is to connect people from different cultural and professional backgrounds. So not just, not just across, you know, all intercultural educators or all intercultural business people, but it's really connects people across uh, across the board, across the borders, if you will, so mm-hmm. cultural and professional backgrounds, just to kind of help explore differences and and really engage in um, in some good best practices um, across the across the intercultural workings. Yeah, and it's 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 international, like you said. And uh, what's the reason that you joined this? So I actually joined. Um, because as you mentioned before, I'm, I'm making kind of a drastic career change while my mindset has not changed because I have worked and studied in the intercultural realm for a long time. Uh-huh. Um, I really made it just to kind of learn from other people um, and, 
and find out what else was out there. You know, the, it used to be um, when I was when I was studying in university, um, and I have a I have a degree in um, international business, um, and and then a ma- working through my master's in intercultural relations. And the the answer used to be you got to do expat training, mm-hmm. or you got to continue and go into academia. Those were your choices. Right. And in an ever-growing, globally developing world, um, there's so much more that can be done in the intercultural world, mm-hmm. right? Um, just just like you and I doing doing a podcast. That literally, that is a it is a wide open market yeah. um, for intercultural for intercultural training, for travel training, for for all of those kinds of nuances. Because no one has has even touched the surface of that yet, and yet we were a global world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really a, the reason that I kind of went <clears throat> and joined CHR was because I knew that it would, it would give me some really great mentors as I, as I walked into this intercultural work, um, as well as some really good connections, um, to see what other people are doing and kind of what their practices are within their realm that I could that I can implement into my life. Yes, it's a nice bunch to actually get to know like-minded people, right? It, it really is. It's. I was telling someone the other day, we were just talking about the conference from this past October, um, and I was telling people that my mind was, though I was tired because we were, you know, we were up late and, and, um, and up early and stayed up late and, and however that works because it's a conference and that's what you do. Um, my mind was, it was, I was so happy every day because I, I had people that I didn't have to explain myself to. I could just start a conversation. Yeah. And even in my group of friends who I love dearly, but my, a lot of my friends locally are local people or at least very stateside people. Um, and I have to, you know, explain everything before I can actually get to the point of something. And so sometimes it's a bit exhausting. You become an introvert quickly if you're not careful. <laughs> you don't sound like sound like you you'll be affected by that really fast. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not often. All right. While you were actually explaining what theater stands for and what your reason was for joining them, I tried to look it up and uh, what it actually stands for, and uh, it still keeps on coming back with the Society for Intercultural Education, Training, and Research. Yeah. Um, so that's apparently uh, what it's what it's uh, what it is and what it's all about. Now, Amanda, you mentioned uh, briefly about the world changing in t- terms of you know the globalization, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How do you see? How do you see? How does Amanda Workman see that the world is changing when it comes to culture? Um. So interesting because I I. I moved into an intercultural lifestyle pretty early on, right? Mm-hmm. So I was six when I moved into my intercultural lifestyle. Yeah. Um, I had a privilege that a lot of third culture kids, um, which would be the title for someone like me, mm-hmm. um, I had a privilege that a lot of third culture kids do not have. And that is I had a very steady... Um, I had a very steady lifestyle, both in the in my host country in Kenya and in the United States. I came back to the same home, mm-hmm. no matter where I was traveling. And a lot of their culture kids do not have that privilege. Uh-huh. Um, so I really grew up where I, when I was in Kenya, I lived my Kenyan lifestyle. <clears throat> and um, we actually, my parents worked in in an upper and middle class type type work and so that was a little bit different most people imagine that I grew up in a village and I actually grew up at a country club so I always try to emphasize that (laughs) but you know so so 
but I had this, this very privileged lifestyle, this very, um, I had friends of all sorts of nationalities, of all sorts of um, socioeconomic backgrounds, whether it was, you know, children in a village or my friends who were the niece and nephew of the president at the time. Mm. Um, I grew up, you know, just very much, very spread across um, in a lot of different ways. And then I would come back to the United States and I had a very, I had, um, I the, the town that we are from in the United States is a very, very small town in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had people that literally had never, I knew people that had never left the state of Texas. Yep. Um, and there was no way for me to, to help them outside of my storytelling, um, help them relate. And everyone that I ever met always had this discovery channel vision of <laughs> Africa, right? Oh, there's, or, or the, um, the fundraising vision, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, here's all of the starving children yeah. and that the pictures on television. And that was not my life. It was not my world. What I love now about kind of the ever evolving inner intertwining intercultural world um, is that number one, there's so much more access to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, there's also techno technology access. So people can really begin such as Skyping. I mean, I'm in the States, you're in Belgium, mm-hmm. um, being able to communicate in ways and learn about things at an earlier age. Um, and I think that, I think it's a great thing because I think it helps people begin to relate to each other earlier. Mm-hmm. I also think that, that therein lies another difficulty because we are relating to each other earlier. We still um, don't necessarily learn cultural nuances because there's so many things that are similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like, like my, my little nieces the other day were doing a little study on um, Africa for something at their church and they were able to Skype with my mom to, or actually FaceTime with my mom. So phone to phone, um, to, to have a little conversation with her. Cause you know, they're five and they got to ask her all of the great questions that they wanted to ask. Whereas when my friends were five, they would just make up whatever because this, they yep. didn't, they didn't have it? that access. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, from your perspective, you're from your alight and enlightened American perspective, um, what culture do you think Westerns have the most difficulty to work with and, and, and any reason why? Um, Or where so do we I, stumble and fall, for instance? So, honestly, I think that it's hard for Westerners to work with other Westerners in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Um, again, if you look... If you look at the color of my skin and I look at the color of your skin and then we both speak English and we both come from places that have um, first world accessibility, mm-hmm. I'm going to look at your life and go, oh, well, you are just like me. You're right. Um, when in reality, you approach things in a cultural personality that are completely different than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think... I really think that Westerners working with other Westerners have a really hard time um, because at some level, while, while we have, while we will struggle to work in the Africas, while we will struggle to work in the Asias, while we will struggle even to work uh, to South America, right? Um, or Europe to South America, uh, North America to South America. We, we, we have a physical um, difference there. And so a lot of times we begin to think, okay, well, there somehow the physical difference that we that we can see mm-hmm. 
helps us think, oh, yes, there's also a cultural difference. And so it, it triggers that idea already. It yeah. triggers the idea. Yeah. And so even though that there is a, a frustration there, there's a there's a some the, the trigger to say, let me figure this out. Why is this person doing this? Yeah. Whereas if I see you doing something, I'm like, oh, the guy's just a jerk, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're not, you're not a jerk. And so thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that 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 is, in my opinion, is one of the m- more difficult areas uh, is makes, Westerners to Westerners. Makes makes good sense. I mean, typically, if I look at the continent of Europe with all its its cultural diversity, and if if you look at the economical mess that uh, currently the, the 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 this continent is in. Uh, I, I I have to agree with you that it's it's it seems so easy, you know, just getting along. We all look the same, we speak the same language, etc. But no way, it doesn't. Um, we can't even get our uh, our budget in order. At least I'm, I'm talking about the eurozone here. Right. Well, um, we can't get ours in order either. So well, you just keep borrowing. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's that's relatively simple. We're some countries here. Germany wants to balance the books, and France doesn't. Greece can't. Uh, it's and everybody says, yeah, but I'm right. Um, so it's a, that's that's a difficult situation. But getting back to the United States, um, being an American yourself, can you share with us some of your observations of cultural diversity within the United States? Oh wow, that is an amazing touch point. Well, I live in Texas, yeah, um, and Texas is its own. So today is actually um, so today, and I don't know when this podcast will actually be launching, but but we are ha- the conversation that we are having today is actually on March second. Sorry if I if I mess that up for you. No, that's uh, fine. Don't worry. <laughs> realizing that this will be pot that this will be broadcast at a later date but on march 2nd is texas independence day uh-huh. and we still celebrate it um it's you know we have little parties and celebrate it in the schools and and while we are obviously no longer independent of mm-hmm. within our own country right? right um and and so just within just looking at at texas alone you have this culture of people um and and that's not that's not inclusive even of the varied um, of the varied populace that happens to live here. You know, we have um, his, a Latin culture, a Hispanic Latin culture here. Uh-huh. We have um, in Dallas, actually um, Houston as well, but more so in Dallas, we have a lot of internationals um, that live in Dallas because of, um, and, and Houston as well, because of the oil and gas industry. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of diversity that happens just within the major cities. Um, and then uh, across the states as a whole, um, it, it's interesting because there are pockets of places that that really, in my mind, are not culturally diverse at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are their own culture, obviously. Um, Example? Um, so for me, a, a, a lot of areas in the Midwest. So my grandmother, my father's side of the family are from, um, Missouri mm-hmm. and you get there and, um, it's really funny because if I see a person, um, of an ethnic diversity, sometimes I find myself staring at them <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wait, that is, I mean, obviously that is not my world, right? I did not grow up noticing that and 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 yet yet i notice it there because it's so rare especially the area that she lives in um and it's not for better or for worse it just happens to be how people have lived forever Mm -hmm. um not that they're not welcoming and inviting it just it's just there's not a whole lot of ethnically diverse people around um which is fine yeah which is fine and so you get to places like that and 
and um, you find it begins to ha- the Midwest begins to have its own specific culture, right. and so um, and and I can't even name an, a, a nuance even to it, but it's it's funny because people will say, oh well they're from Texas, you know, it's fine. They're from Texas. That's why they are the way they are. Or, Oh, well they're from the Midwest. So that's why that they act like that. Um, it, how, whatever they the excuses. And it's funny because we say that across, for you and I, we say that across countries, right? Yeah, oh, well, culturally, this is the difference. Um, because they're from Kenya and, um, he's from Belgium. And so because of that, that's why this is, yeah. um, and, and in the United States, because it's so large, we are able to really break that down, sometimes state by state, but definitely by region. Right. And But you would, you would excuse us, uh, say, non-Americans, that we can't see that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, for, for me, you're an American who doesn't speak anything with a Southern accent, and I could not place you. Right. I, I could not place you in the country. I mean, typically, uh, say if somebody from from the south, I'm just Bill Clinton pops up because he's from Arkansas. Right. Um, I I would know that he's from the south and right. Canadian. I can more or less recognize. For the rest, of it, that's that's it. Well, and it, what's what's fascinating is that in the so the Texas accent is actually quite different than the rest of the South. Uh huh. And within the South, and this is I have finer-tuned ear because I grew up with relatives in different parts of the South, but I can tell you this person, for the most part, not always, but I can often tell you with a strong accent, this person is from Georgia, they're from Mississippi, they're from North Carolina. Now, now to to the reverse of that, right? Mm -hmm. So you have an accent that I would say, um, this person is um, like if I didn't know know where you were from, I would tell I, I would know that you were from Europe, mm-hmm. um, and I would know that you're not French. Right. Um, that that would be where I would what I place you in Germany or in Belgium or I don't know. Like I would just be like, oh, he's European. Yeah. You know, yeah. as similar to how we say in the United States, people are like, oh, they're American, when in fact they're U.S. American, right? Right. Um, and uh, so it's actually really funny because I. I across cultures would not be able to do the same, especially in Europe. I'm like, oh well, they're they're European. Oh, they're so, speaking German. That does there. not yeah. narrow it down either. Yeah. So, I I could do the French accent as well if you uh, if you would like to do to do that. Nice. That is absolutely. <laughs> I cannot do the French accent. You should to hear me ask for anything when I am in Paris <laughs> is so sad. I know that they just mock me yeah they just want they're gracious they are actually gracious they bring me my coffee and crepe but yeah. that's about all i can say they're not that bad not really no, no i really love not i love far. the parisians absolutely amanda what is your best and most fun cultural experience oh i knew you were going to ask me this oh it's going to be more difficult from here this. No. i know it's so hard um just a fun or culture a, a fun cultural experience maybe you know, some of my very best experiences come in the unexpected, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's looking up and realizing that you're in the midst of something that that no one else in the world is a part of at that moment except for you and the, the five or six people that are there, right? Mm-hmm. So um, one that springs to mind, and obviously being an African child, um, is 
is having dinner. Um, we're actually on safari. Animals don't just walk up to our house. And just to clear that up for any of the listeners, they don't just walk <laughs> up to your house. Most of the time, there are homes that are like that. Yeah. But most of us uh, live the life where we have to actually go on safari. Yes. Um, and I remember um, one of my very earliest memories, maybe we'll do it that way rather than one of my favorite narrowing those uh-huh. down. Uh, one of my very earliest memories was... Um, actually being on safari um, at night. Um, and we had we had chosen to go to camping with these other families. Um, and just being in the vastness of Africa, especially as you get out where there are no city lights, uh-huh. um, just feeling so incredibly um, small yeah. in, in accordance with the universe, right? Uh-huh. But but also just bold um, because I was on African soil and there was just something so um, alive about even just the soil itself. Um, and I remember that from a very young age, um, feeling that way about about just the culture and the nuance of Africa. That doesn't really give you a, a story, but that was what popped into my head That's when you fine. asked that question. <laughs> That's so, fine. I can relate to that. I've done something similar in uh, on, on a couple of safaris in in Africa as well. So for me, it makes it makes perfect sense. And the darkness, the, the pitch pitch darkness, like there's it is so dark. So and uh, so I grew up on the equator, right? So mm-hmm. about forty five minutes from the equator. And my grandfather, when he came to visit, one of our favorite family sayings. My grandfather, when he came to visit when I was a child, said, "In Africa, darkness comes with a clang." <laughs> Because because on the equator there's no twilight. Yes, it's boom, it's dark. Yes. Yes, it's it's okay. The sun goes down and then it's dark and it is dark. Like their deepest yeah. darkest Africa is is my one of my favorite phrases from a very from a childhood book and um, it is it is deepest darkest. That is true. Very much, absolutely. Okay, the, the, this is the most difficult question, and from here on, I have only two questions left, Amanda. For okay. you, okay. Um, can you give us three tips uh, out of your experience to become more culturally competent? Yes. All right. And so, um, so I'm gonna, and I'll even put them, I'll even put them uh, all with a similar letter. So you've got, you've got that going on for you, right? So I'm going to tell you that you need to, um, when you're dealing with another culture, the first thing I always recommend is to just look around, mm-hmm. um, stop and look. Um, I think so often we. Um, we walk into another culture and we want to take everything in. And so we begin to, to, um, take pictures, right? I'm guilty of this myself. We take as many pictures as possible and I miss the culture because I'm too busy taking pictures right. of, <clears throat> of the things, um, to look and, and, and for people that are going to work in another culture to go and look at what is going on that is right rather than going to see what you can fix. Because if you go in and, and learn from another culture what they're doing right, you can build on that rather than going in and trying to change something. And the thing that needs to be fixed will naturally mm. be repaired rather than going in and um, doing that. The other is to listen. Yeah. I think so often we, I, I, am, I am very, very guilty of this. I go in and people ask me all the questions um, because I'm from the United States or I am the expert coming in and And so for me, it's been very important in my lifetime to learn to go in and to ask the questions and then to very, very still and mindfully listen um, and learn from 
some of the great wisdom that comes from people that may come from a different socioeconomic background or may come from a culture that I cannot relate to at all, but they too have wisdom that is, that in, in my mind is a God-given thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, listening to that. So, so looking, listening, and then really just loving. Um, I know that sounds so funny and maybe a little touchy-feely for people, um, but I find that we often go in with, um, especially especially now where the world is a little bit prickly, right? The Europeans are a little bit prickly against each other and then no one likes the United States and then we turn around and the United States is, is over here. You know, we're all a little bit prickly and so just looking and saying, that person is a human being and they have, they have value um, that I can learn from. And, and I think that, that, that those three things, those, those three things will really help you relate to another culture because what you're going to find is you have mothers that care about their kids, no matter what their color of skin, no matter what country they're from. You have teenage girls that are very worried about, about their, about the boys looking at them, (laughs) right? No matter where they come from. And you have daddies that are, that are concerned on how they're going to provide for their families. No matter, no matter what, nationality that they are uh-huh. um and once you can kind of find the similarities i think that you begin to um that you naturally begin to work in and understand each other's cultures wonderful i'm just taking a bit of a pause and, and taking it in because that's basically that's what you're what you're doing as well right you're you're slowing down with your three tips that is yes to look to listen and to love yeah all right Sounds really good. Amanda, how can people get in touch with you if they want to, should they want to? Sure. So um, I have a website, um, which is cultural-concierge.com. I will, hopefully by the time of this particular broadcast, (laughs) I will um, have it all. I'm I'm making some content changes. And so um, I apologize for anyone who has looked at it in the past week. Um, so, but I am, that is a way to get a hold of me. I am also available on LinkedIn, just my name, Amanda Workman. Um, and then I can also be found on Twitter at Cultural Sage, S A G E. So, okay. All right. Sounds excellent. That will all be in the show notes, and you can go there, find them at uh, culturematters.com, and then uh, look for Amanda, search for Amanda, or look under the podcast tab. And uh, that's pretty much it. Thank you so much, Amanda. Um, all the best. Good luck with your uh, with your podcast. I'm definitely going to check that out when that is going to be live. Any launching date for that already? So my hope is to launch that by the end of this month. Um, end of March, really, that is. End of March. Yeah, end of March. And so... Um, I will keep you. I will keep you uh, up to date. And so, if it, it if it does, we can pop that into the show notes. Absolutely, we'll have to absolutely do that. Thanks so much. It's been a real good, nice interview. Really enjoyed my time with you, and I'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future. Yes, thank you, Chris. I fully appreciate the, the opportunity. You're more than welcome. Thank you again, Amanda, for the uh, the interview and taking the time out of your busy schedule to spend time with us in the culture, the culture matters podcast. I hope you um, typically liked the uh, the look, listen, and love or loving um, the three L's when it comes to cultural, the getting more culturally competent. 
We'll be back next uh, week. No, next week. No, in two weeks' time, as always, with the Culture Matters podcast. And it just springs to mind that I can also point you towards um, my new book. It's a book, and it's an ebook as well. You can get the uh, the Kindle version on Amazon, but also the, uh, the the paperback version is available as well. If you want to find out more, you can go to culturematters.com slash ebook. That will eventually take you to um, to Amazon, where you can find my uh, my first publication and um, it's really nice I feel really proud when that uh, um, when I see my own book you know, in, in on, on the bookshelf so I hope you will, will go there check it out it's only $2.99 so that's a, that's a real steal a real bargain and I'm pretty sure you will uh, become more culturally competent after having read that book okay thank you so much for listening again and I'll be back like I said in two weeks time take care bye that's it for this episode The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.